You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the rider. I'm Damon Martin. He is UFC legend, Matt Brown, Matt, what's going on? How are you? Very good. How are you doing, Damon? I am fantastic. We are uh, coming off a weekend of Bellator and UFC fights, then rolling right into, uh, you know, a huge UFC event this weekend. Of course, from Australia, the champ versus champ fight, Islam Makachev taking on Alexander Volkanovsky. So uh, no shortage of things to talk about in the MMA world. Yeah, I guess I'm a little bit sad from the weekend, right? I think every MMA fan is a little bit disappointed. Fedor just didn't show any signs of hope in that fight. And I was like, like, God, man, just watching it, it just hurt the whole time. I mean, can't take anything away from Bader, right? He's such a monster. But, God, I was like, Fedor, like, can we just send these guys off, like, with easier fights, man? (laughs) It's uh. It's funny because when we had the discussion over the last UFC two UFC two eighty three card, we both kind of said like Shogun's retirement was sad. To share it, even though he lost, wasn't because it was a battle and he stuck in there and just battled it out with uh, with uh, Jamal Hill. The Fedor one's weird because like part of me was sad because he just didn't he just didn't look good and and he got handled again and and Bader is legitimately a really good fighter. On the other side, he did go out against the champion, so he did, you know, there's no shame yeah. in losing to Ryan Bader, but yeah, man, I mean, 46, I mean, this is the fight he wanted, he called for this fight, but you know, I don't know, like, it just, like, part of me wishes, like, he had, I don't know, I, I, it's, there's there's just so few storybook endings in this sport, Matt, like, it's just so yeah. rare that we actually, like, can celebrate a guy going out on top. I get what you're saying, at least, the, you know, at least it happened against the champion, right, like, um, you know, it was a guy we we know very well. Like you said, Shogun, when he fought a couple weeks ago, his last fight, I don't even remember the guy's name. I know who the guy was, but uh, I've seen him fight a few, uh, a couple of times, uh, but the Ukrainian guy. Uh, Ehor, but I can't remember Ehor, his name e- right now. Ehor Poteria. There you go. Ehor yes, Poteria. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that, I don't, I guess that is a little worse. I didn't really think of it that way. I was just like, like you just want to see him go out with the win, man. And, uh, 
unfortunately, like you said, it's just a rare thing, man. And especially when you're 46 years old, how old's Bader? He's got, he's up in his late thirties. I'm sure. 38. I think he's 38. Yeah. 38, yeah. Or 39. Yeah. Yeah. You say he's still in, you know, I, I wouldn't even say he's past his prime. Like, like Bader might be in his prime. For heavyweight, I mean, heavyweights don't typically. I mean, Francis Ngannou's like thirty six. You know, Stipe's forty. Yeah. I mean, heavyweights typically are heavyweight is like the weird division where you can be have a lot of longevity beyond you know what is typically seen as like prime athletic career years. You know what I mean? Like heavyweight has always been an older division. That makes sense. Yeah, and then also with uh, Derek Lewis just getting dominated. I mean, I love Derek Lewis. I'm glad he didn't get a knockout because I still want to catch his record. But <laughs> uh, which, by the way, um, I should be catching it this year. I do have verbal confirmation of my next fight. Just don't have, uh, you know, the rights to announce it just yet, I guess. But I do have verbal confirmation, so that announcement should be coming. I would, su- I would suppose next week. Okay, we're gonna break it on his- on the show here. I hope. Absolutely. I mean, um, you, you know how you know we do the show on Monday. Um, hopefully I won't, I won't put, I'll try not, I'll try to keep it off Instagram till Monday, or Twitter, <laughs> Monday so we break it here officially. Uh, but I certainly won't go on any other show and break it. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's going to be exciting with you coming back and, uh, and, and doing the, the fight camp radio show, which will be fun. Fight camp podcast will be fun. Um, yeah. Trying to catch Derek Lewis, man. I get this knockout. We'll be tied again. Uh, again, I, I love Derek Lewis. Who doesn't love Derek Lewis, right? He's got to be one of the, just nicest, like coolest guys. One of the best follows on Instagram in the UFC. And uh, it sucked to see him go out like that, but, um, but I'm glad he didn't get a knockout. <laughs> Was it, is it tied for all time lead knockouts in UFC history? Is that what it is? Yeah. So he's number one. And I think I'm tied uh, for number two with, um, I want to say it's me and Vitor Belfort. And Vitor, Vitor is not coming back to the OC, so you win there. You definitely knock him out of contention. So, uh, it. yeah, it was, it's, uh, yeah, it's just like I said. And going back to the Fedor thing, like it's, um, it's a bummer, but also it seems like he's going to stick to his guns. I really believe he's done this time. I don't know. It's a weird. One. Like I'm, I'm both. I don't know. I'm sad, but I'm also kind of like this is just the sport, man. Like no one has a fairy tale ending. It's so rare. That you get a Khabib or a GSP where they go out on top or even just go out on a win. Um, and it was crazy because when you look at all the guys that, that got in the cage with him, all the legends, the, you know, Randy Couture, our good friend Mark Coleman, um, you know, Dan Henderson on down the line, like you, Chuck Liddell, like you look at everybody that was in there. And if you actually like thought about it, like almost all of them ended their career on a loss. And that's just the reality of this sport. Like that's just the brutal reality of this sport legends, every single one of them, huge legends, but no one hardly ever. That's just the sport, man. So it's almost like I've kind of, I've just kind of reconciled with that. Like that's just how things are going to end most of the time. And the reality is GSP did it the best man, because he would, like he dominated the welterweight division for a very long time, set some records, did some great things, went up to middleweight and, you know, won the title again. Um, I like it better than like kind of the way Khabib did where Khabib still has a lot of prime years left. Like he could come back right now and still be, I think in his prime, right? I mean, he would have to get back into shape and lose some weight and everything, but like he left during his prime. I think GSP recognized that he was, beginning to exit his prime so he just did it perfectly in my opinion 
But man, all that photo with all the legends in there, I was just talking with Mark Coleman a minute ago. He came to the gym. He was actually uh, took my class and was doing a little workout, breaking a sweat and learning some striking. And uh, man, it was so much fun. But he was just telling me all about the weekend. And um, it'd be great, actually, if we could get him on here. Maybe maybe I'll hit him up this week, see if we can get him on here next week. And he can tell us about that whole experience. Because, uh, you know, the, has there ever been that many legends in one spot before? I mean, and, and real legends, not like, you know, pioneering legends, not fucking, you know, a bunch of great fighters at a UFC summit or something like all the real old school legends, the guys that built this sport, man. What a beautiful thing that was. Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, seeing, you know, Frank Shamrock in there. Frank Shamrock's a guy who doesn't get nearly enough credit for what he did. A guy who should be in the UFC Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, seeing Hoist Gracie, Henzo Gracie, uh, you know, seeing, uh, you know, of course, Dan Henderson. I mean, it was great. It was really, really cool. Like I said, the only thing, the only thing that would have, the only guy, like it would have been cool just because it was Fedor. It would have been cool if they could have got like Crow Cop and Nogueira in there just because those are like two of his most legendary opponents. But that's like a minor, that's almost like a, it would have just been cool to have them there. But that was such an awesome assembly. And it was really cool that Bellator did that because, um, and I'm going to ask you to step on a landmine here, Matt, because after the fight, you know, somebody on the Saturday night, they asked Dana about it. And Dana was talking about, you know, I never believed Fedor was one of the greatest of all time. And I'm like, dude, listen, we all know Dana's going to be Dana and I get it, but can you ever just be gracious in defeat? Like you didn't sign the guy. He didn't want to sign with the okay. It is what it is. We all know Fedor is one of the greatest of all time. You and I talked last week and said, listen, we both rate Stipe number one, but I'm not, I 100% believe Fedor is one of the greatest. And if he's not the number one heavyweight, he's at worst number two. And I'm just like, dude, like give the guys flowers. Like I understand there's always like this bitter rivalry and you never got to sign Fedor. And maybe there's a little bit of just like, you know, just, you know, just underlying cynicism to it. But like, Dude, come on, Dana. Like, give the guy his flowers. The guy's one of the greatest heavyweights <laughs> of all time at worst. Don't sit there and on, on the day he retires, don't say, I never thought he was one of the greatest. That's just, come on. Now, you might hammer me for this one, but I'm going to argue a little bit with Dana. He has an argument there. I don't agree with it. I put Fedor down as one of the greatest. I mean, but Dana has an argument. I don't think, I don't, I don't know. It, he's, he's obviously going to be biased, right? Like he had his run-ins with Fedor, didn't work it out, didn't come fight, didn't get to sign him in the UFC. He obviously wanted to, but I think Dana does have an argument there. You know, Fedor's best wins is Naguer and Krokop, right? He doesn't have, he fought tons of cans. Um, he wasn't, you know, I mean, it was 10 years, but, Again, there were so many cans. There's just, you know, there is a small argument there. I don't know if Dan is just saying it for media or, you know, if there's some sort of uh, internal bias or whatever, but there is an argument. I'm just not sure if the, if the argument is what Dana is actually, you know, appealing to there. Well, I don't, here's my, here's the, my biggest problem with it is beyond I agree. Nogueira and Krokop are, are his two best wins, but he also has wins over Andre Arlovsky, has wins over Tim Sylvia, two former UFC heavyweight mm-hmm. champions. You know, obviously has a win, you know, a couple wins over our guy, Mark Coleman. I mean, to me, when you say, I never thought he was one of the greatest in the world, 
and, and, and to me, it's not only insulting Fedor, but it's also kind of insulting the guys he beat because mm-hmm. what are you saying about your own champions? He beat a lot of UFC champions in his career and, and legitimately dominated many of them, knocked out many of them. Like to me, it diminishes your own, like it's okay that you, you don't have to sit there and say he's the greatest. Like we had, we had this discussion last week. You and I kind of came to a consensus that we put Stipe number one. I'm not changing my vote right now. I still have Stipe number one, but Again, like it just—I I don't know. To me, it sounds like sour grapes. You know what I mean? Like, just just give the guys flowers. Like they ask him the question, "How do you feel about it?" All you have to say is, "You know what? We tried to sign him. It didn't work out. But you know, he is—he's obviously still one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Wish him the best on his future." You know, like that's all you have to like. Take yeah. the high road a little bit. Like you don't have to sit there and praise the. And I'm again, I'm not saying he has to tell the world Fedor was the greatest because you and I both said we don't have Fedor as the greatest. But at least give the guy a little bit of credit. Because he was at least at worst, he was one of the greatest heavyweights. Like yes. that's the and that to me is indisputable. And that's what he's like. I never consider him one of the greatest. Like, come on, Dana. Everybody, everybody considers him one of the greatest. Maybe not the greatest, but to me, it's just right. like, dude, take the high road. To me, it just sounded like sour grapes. Yeah, I guess I took it as him saying I don't consider him the greatest. But I guess that's not what he said, right? He said he's one not of the greatest. one of the greatest. Yeah, yeah, you're one hundred percent right there. Fedor is undisputably one of the greats. Like that, there's, you cannot argue. There's no argument against that. You're you're correct there. Yeah, I, but I it, differently. Yeah, it is. But like I said, you know, no one, no one in this sport ever seems to go out on top. And, and yeah, I, like I said, I was kind of sad with Fedor, but at the same time, I was kind of like, you know what? He wanted this. This is the fight he wanted. He wanted to go out against Bader. He wanted a chance to get a rematch. Didn't work out for him. Uh, Bader is now the first and only guy who will ever hold two wins over Fedor. No one ever beat Fedor twice in his career. So Bader has that to add onto his resume. Um, yeah, like I said, it's kind of a bummer, but I don't know. I, again, I, I know we keep going back to this, Matt, but I didn't feel as sad about Fedor as I did about Shogun. Like Shogun lost to a nobody. No, I'm sorry. Ehor Potaria. No one knows who you are. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to insult the guy, but no one knows him. Like if, if they brought yeah, back Machida, he'll always be a nobody, but right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, like yeah. Machida, Machida offered to come back. Like Leona Machida said, sign me and let me come back and have a retirement fight with Shogun. That would have been awesome. You know, oh, like yeah. I think, I think that's what makes Shogun's doubly sad is because not only did he lose and not look good, but he lost to nobody. Whereas at least Fedor can say, hey, I went out against the heavyweight champion of Bellator. You know what I mean? Glover Teixeira, I lost to the new light heavyweight champion, and I put on a hell of a slugfest, and I stuck around to the final bell. Those are things you can say. Even in defeat, you can say, I went out on top in a way, right? Uh, You know, at least Fedor can say that. I went out against the best heavyweight Bellator could throw at me. And you know what? There's no shame in losing to a champion in your final fight, at least in my opinion. Is there any chance Francis goes to Bellator? I mean, pretty small, right? Pretty small chance. I think it's pretty small for a couple of reasons. One, um, I don't know how much interest he would have in, in, in if he's going to do MMA and doing a fight with Bader. I mean, I'll be honest. I think Bader outside the UFC, Bader is probably one of the best heavyweights available because no offense to the guys in the PFL. I mean, anti Delisia and some of the guys in the PFL, I mean, again a lot of guys you never heard of or don't really know their names um one championship i mean they have a couple of guys over there that are pretty good but again guys you don't really know their names uh bader's probably the biggest heavyweight name that's available but i think i think francis well, is I guess looking the reason at- I, I i think it 
I thought maybe a, a possibility was that Bellator would probably be open to some sort of non-exclusive contract, right? And he comes in, he fights Bader. Now Bader has a chance to show that he's the best heavyweight in the world. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, uh, I mean, again, for Francis right now, it's all going to come down to, you know, his boxing match. I mean, I think that's what he's aiming for. I think that's what he wants. And and I said it many times, like, mm-hmm. cash in, dude, like, get your money. Go fight Tyson Fury. Go fight Deontay Wilder. If they're going to pay you a boatload of money to fight Anthony Joshua, even though I think that's the the third option, like what I would consider the third best option, take that money, whatever. Go do your thing. And then come back to MMA, fight Bader, fight whoever. Uh, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I think Francis is smart enough to kind of bide his time. He just put out a tweet, you know, kind of teasing the Fury fight because Fury's been talking about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't. Plus, well, I mean, Fury that- hasn't booked the, the Usyk fight yet, and Joshua just signed to fight. Um, yeah. I forget who, who it is he's fighting. Not not a huge name, but he's he's doing sort of a comeback fight type thing. Um, so that only leaves Deontay Wilder, who's wide open right now. Yeah, I mean, um, also the other thing with Bellator is they don't have pay per view. So Francis going to Bellator would mean that like he couldn't cash in on pay-per-view bonuses. Whereas at least in PFL with the whole Jake Paul thing, like if Jake Paul and Francis fought on the same card and get pay-per-view and you get 50, 50 split in the pay-per-view, like that's a pretty enticing, like, you know, even they if you're trying to do a pay-per-view, right? I mean, they could, but I don't think they're going to Bellator's never really, really had that model. And I just don't think they're, they've done it before. I mean, they did it for the one card in New York when they had Chandler mm-hmm. and Brent Primus and all that stuff. But I, I, I just, I don't think so. I don't, I, I think it'd be uh I think at this stage it would be a bigger risk than reward with that. But again, whatever, go do your thing, man. Like I, I said, I'm rooting for Francis fighting Bader. That's his pay-per-view material. All the way, right? It is. It is. And yeah. and listen, if I'm, if I'm Bader and I know Bader, Bader isn't this guy. Like I know Ryan Bader well enough to know he's not that dude, but like, dude, call for it. Like, even if you don't get it, call for it. Like, you know what I mean? Cause there's no bigger fight. He wants fresh blood. He's beaten every other heavyweight really in Bellator right now. Go call for Francis. I mean, will it happen? Probably not right away. But why not call for it, dude? Like you're the you're, yeah, you think you're the, talking about it. Yeah, get people buzzing, get people interested. Like I said, right now there's not a whole lot of buzz about it because no one's talking about it. Talk about it, Ryan. Go out and get it. Yeah, I would love to see it personally, man. I think it'd be a, a pretty good matchup if I'm being honest. I would think Francis, but yeah, look, look you know, El Bader's got that wrestling. Bader's and got he wrestling. He's got it, the way he looked he's, against Fedor last weekend. Once he got him down, he had amazing ground and pound. He has really yeah. good wrestling. He's really strong. He, he again, he looks he he fights a lot like Stipe. Like he's not as good as Stipe on the feet in terms of his boxing and everything, but like in terms of his power and his wrestling, like he could potentially take Francis down and drown him in like that third and fourth round where Francis starts gassing him. I mean, it's possible. I wouldn't count him out. I would like you, I would pick Francis, but um, I don't think it's a blow. I think outside the UFC, every fight that Francis would have in MMA right now would be a blowout in terms of like my estimation. Like, I don't think anyone comes close. I think Bader's the one guy who could potentially, you know, give him a bit of a run. And and I think that if you're looking for challenges, that may be the only heavyweight challenge outside the UFC right now in terms of interest and a guy who could actually push you. Uh, because who else is there? I mean, really, I mean, there's not, there's not anyone that anyone's going to be like, Oh yeah, man, that guy could really give Francis a fight. No, it's 
Come on now, like we we all know better. Yeah, like, yeah. As usual, there's no names, at least that that we we would assume are going to give them a push. There's always those guys that are coming up that we haven't heard of, right? <laughs> yeah. But they're not going to get the Francis fight. But Bader poses some serious problems for. Him. But it, you know, the question is: Is Francis looking for a challenge, or is he looking for money? Dude, I like I said. Go listen. I don't know. There's some special rules and four ounce gloves and all that stuff. If they do all that, maybe Francis has a chance against Tyson Fury. But if it's a straight up boxing match, um, it's it's Floyd and Connor all over again. Tyson boxes circles around Francis and Gano. But yeah. get your paycheck. Like, go get your $30 million. I will 100% root for you to go out and get that $30 million. Go get it. That's why, like, on Twitter, <laughs> I had this Twitter discussion the other day because uh, Eddie Hearn went on and said, like, the fight to make is Anthony Joshua and Francis Ngannou is huge. And I'm like, all right, listen, Anthony Joshua is two and three in his last five, and his star power is all built in the United Kingdom. He's never been an international star, and he's never really been a pay-per-view draw because they don't really do pay-per-view the same in England, it's like a $20 pay-per-view over here. People are paying 80 to a hundred dollars. The fight to make would obviously number one would be, would be Tyson Fury. And number two would be Deontay Wilder. Um, but as I told everybody, I was like, listen, as much as I'm sitting here saying that Anthony Joshua, isn't the best guy in the world. And maybe he didn't develop into the heavyweight. Maybe we all thought he would when he first came out and, you know, come out of the Olympics and everything. Um, he's still like a top five boxer. I love Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou has huge power, and, and the dude can hit you and, and put you out. But at some point, we got to show a little bit of respect to the heavyweight boxers, right? Like, they're like, well, maybe he has a better chance against Joshua. No, he probably doesn't have a great chance against any of those three, but at least go out there and get the biggest payday you can get. So at least if you lose, you can fall asleep on your pile of money. Yeah, well, I don't, you know, we, I've never seen a box. So I don't know what kind of chance he stands against these guys. I don't think you can automatically discount that just because he's been in MMA for so long that he can't box that well. The biggest thing, because he's never boxed, and just like when Connor went over, I said the same thing. It's like the rules are, are different. The pace is different. The um, the timing is different. You know, when you when you look at a 12-round match, uh, three-minute rounds versus three five-minute rounds, your entire mentality has to change. So I, without having any real experience in that, I think that's one of the biggest battles to overcome. And I thought Floyd did a great job of exploiting that out of Connor, right? Like he didn't go in and just mollywop Connor within, you know, a few rounds. He took his time, found his distance, played some different games, different ways. He played the boxing game and Connor was inexperienced in the boxing game. You know, a guy like Floyd has, you know, three, four, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, well over 200 boxing matches. You know, he obviously he knows the game pretty well. Yeah, but realistically, listen, I we all understand Puncher's chance and Francis has, you know, maybe some of the most incredible, awe-inspiring power we've ever seen. And you will not find a bigger Francis Ngannou fan than me. I love that dude. Nicest guy in the world. Incredible story. Someone in Hollywood needs to option that for a movie like tomorrow to make a movie about that dude's life, everything he went through. But I made the mistake going into Connor Floyd, trying to talk myself into Connor doing well in that fight. Cause I was like, come <laughs> on now, Connor, Connor's got pretty good boxing. Uh, let's be real. I don't know what kind of a boxer Francis is, but I know what kind of a boxer Tyson Fury is. Be honest, man. Yeah, well, well, when you're talking about Tyson Fury, I'm with you on that. Like he doesn't stand a chance against Tyson Fury, even if he was, an experienced, really good boxer because Tyson Fury is that good of a fucking boxer. 
with Wilder and Joshua, I give him a chance. Again, without seeing his boxing, I don't know how much of a chance. Now, saying you learn your lessons from Connor and Floyd, you got to remember how good Floyd is, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? <laughs> if, you, if you put Connor in there with a lot of these, um, you know, if you put him in with a Toro Gatti or, you know, some of these other guys around uh, Floyd's weight, um, you know, even Canelo Alvarez, like I'd give him a better chance against Canelo, you know. But Floyd is a special fighter without question. You know, if you if you put Conor in against Shane Mosley or Oscar De La Hoya, a lot of these guys that are really, really great fighters, I give Conor a way better chance. Floyd is not only that great of a boxer, but he's a terrible, terrible matchup, not only for Conor, but for anybody that has been, uh, you know, that is an offensive fighter and especially someone that doesn't have experience boxing. Yeah, but when you say a better chance, I want to make sure we kind of categorize that, Matt, because <laughs> yeah. people are going people are going to listen and say, "Matt, wow, you think?" Uh, listen, Deontay Wilder and and, and Francis Ngannou. I mean, that fight would be fun until one of them falls over because those dudes both hit mm-hmm. like a truck, and it's just basically who gets hit first. Like that's it. Now, technically speaking, Deontay Wilder doesn't get nearly enough credit for being a good boxer because he's not really shown that, but he's still a good boxer. He's not a terrible boxer who just yeah. happens to have one-punch knockout power because there's been lots of guys in boxing that have one-punch knockout power and could not land a knockout because they just get their, their faces boxed off by better opposition. So when you say better chance, I want to make sure we kind of quantify that because out of out of 100 with with Tyson Fury... Francis has like a one in a hundred shot. Like, could he land the shot? Could he land a big punch? Sure. But if I'm betting money, if you're saying put all your money, I'm putting it all on Tyson Fury. There's no Tyson Fury's best in the world. The only guy who maybe has a chance to beat him right now is Alexander Usyk. And even that, when I pick Tyson Fury to win, uh, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, I give Francis more of a chance to win, maybe five out of a hundred or 10 out of a hundred, but the odds are still, so, so when you say better, I want to quantify that, Matt. When you say better chance, you're not saying like I'm picking Francis. You're just saying no, he has a yeah. he has a better chance against those two guys than he ever would against Tyson Fury. No, that, that's a great point, and I give him more than like a ten or twenty percent chance out of a hundred too. I mean, I I think when you know, especially Joshua, like I think he may potentially pose a bad matchup for Joshua, only because like Joshua does not handle power well. Right, he doesn't handle getting hit really hard very well, um, and we all know that Francis hits very, very hard. Deontay Wilder has balls and has experience in the same game that Francis plays, the power punching game. So, with that, again, it all comes down to me to the boxing experience. I, I mean. It, if Francis could just go in and just get like, it would never happen, but, you know, get like 10 or 15, you know, uh, cans, you know, just to learn how to box and how to play the game. It's just a different game, man. Like I, I go to boxing gyms or have for many years. Like it is a completely different game. The distances are different. Even if you just forget about wrestling and clinching and all that, just taking out the kicks, like the game changes ginormously, just taking out the kicks. So with that experience, that's where the, the and, and never seeing Francis fight, that's what fucks up the whole equation without yeah. ever seeing him box. So 
so yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I don't I would never give them over like a fifty percent chance against any of these guys, but I think it's higher against Joshua, a um, little lower against Deontay, and slim to none against Tyson. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I I agree. There's a reason why I've been calling for Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua for the longest time because I think Wilder knocks Joshua into the middle of next month. Um, cause you're right. Joshua's never handled power that well. And that's coming from me as a guy who's like a boxing novice. Like I just watch boxing. I don't analyze it. I don't break it down. Like you do, you know, far more about boxing than I do, but I know enough from watching Anthony Joshua that if Deontay Wilder hits him, he ain't going to like it one bit. Um, but again, like yeah. I said, I'm just paying enough respect. Cause again, Because I would say the same thing going the other direction. If Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury came to MMA, they would lose to probably the, you know, one of the, I mean, again, yes, they have, they have knockout power. Deontay Wilder probably being the biggest in terms of having a chance to just tag someone and knock them out. But realistically, like, are they beating anyone in the top 15 in the heavyweight division of the UFC? No, you're not. That's just reality. You're just not trained for that. And there's so many ways you can lose in MMA, as we talked about. You know, we've talked about in past weeks with guys like Jake Paul and other guys who want to do MMA. Um, credit to them for wanting to try it. But And again, this isn't an insult to Francis Ngannou. I Like I said, I think Francis is incredible. Um, if Tyson Fury fought Francis in MMA, Francis, oh my God, the fight would be over in 15 seconds. Uh, you know, I just don't see that going well for any boxer, but again, I got to pay, but I got to give credit where credit is due to the boxing community to say that as much as I like Francis Ngannou and as much as his one punch knockout power can change things, he would be an astronomical underdog against any of those three guys, in my opinion. Yeah, most likely. And yeah, again, it all comes down to just the, the entirety, the holistic of the game just changes so much. Like if you put a boxer in MMA, that's why, you know, they, they cut, they want to come in MMA thinking they know how to fight. They don't know how to fight. They know how to box. That's one aspect of fighting guys in MMA. They know how to fight. They don't know how to box. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, these guys think that they can just cross over to an entirely new game when they don't have experience in that game and, and and gym experience is not the same as, uh, you know, fighting experience. So the pace changes, the rules change, obviously um, even just the cage versus a ring is a gigantic difference. So there's just so many differences that um, it's, it, you just, they're always, anytime someone switches into another sport, particularly in combat sports, they're going to be, at a huge disadvantage going against someone that's experienced in that other sport. Yeah. I think that's why like the tweet that Francis put out today, because Tyson had talked about this recently. He said, let's do it. Four ounce gloves. Let's do it in a cage. Let's do it. You know, striking only whatever. Like and when you start taking away advantages, the friend that Tyson would have, then the fight changes. And I think that's probably why Tyson Fury is saying, let's do it with four ounce gloves. Let's do it in a cage. Uh, that kind of stuff, because I think realistically people know in a boxing match, Francis just doesn't, doesn't have any real, I mean, he has a puncher's chance as every, as every puncher would, especially with his kind of power. But when you start taking away the advantages that Fury would have, like the gloves, like the ring, Mm -hmm. things like that, then, yeah, then you start giving, then you start giving uh, Francis a chance. But, but if it's just straight up boxing, again, it would take a miracle. It would take that miracle shot to land. But when you take away all that, and again, I credit, I credit Tyson Fury because I think he knows the interest in him boxing Francis Ngannou 
only goes as far as people believing that Francis can win. And that doesn't go very far in a boxing match. But when you do it with four ounce gloves and you give him a glimmer of hope, you know, you give Francis a glimmer of hope, then you start to say, oh, well, maybe he can do it. You know what I mean? And in that way, I would say that too. Like that's, that's what it would take for me to say Francis has a chance here because in a straight up boxing match, there's no heavyweight on earth right now that I would pick to be Tyson Fury. Why am I going to disrespect the man by saying a UFC champion with zero boxing experience is going to go in there, beat the best heavyweight boxer in the world. Let's say, I, I say, let's get, let's get them on uh, meet about halfway with the rules. How about we do in the cage, four ounce gloves, kickboxing though. <laughs> right. So now, yeah. Okay. Francis got to learn to get his hands a little better. But Tyson got to learn how to kick a little better and deal with kicks a little better. Let's yeah. let's equalize it a little bit. That's that's my suggestion. Yeah, you do that. I'm, I, and again, if they just do straight up boxing, I'll 100% watch. Like I love Francis Ngannou. I'll support that dude twice a week, you know, seven times a week, and twice on Sunday. Uh, I just don't like his chances in a boxing match. But yeah, kickboxing, four ounce gloves cage, do all you know, do the little tweaks and changes. And also Tyson, even if he gets knocked out. You know, if it's not boxing, it doesn't go on his record. So it's not like he's going to, you know, it's not like he's going to suddenly have like a loss in his boxing record because they're not going to sanction it as a boxing match. It would be a mixed rules fight or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, I mean, dude. And again, that's why I kept saying to everyone that was arguing with me about, well, if you do the Joshua fight, he has a better chance to your point. Yes, he has a better chance to beat Anthony Joshua than he does to beat Tyson Fury. But odds are still going to be heavily skewed towards Anthony Joshua to win that fight. And to me, Tyson Fury is a bigger payday. So if you're going to go out and have a chance to do one boxing match, hypothetically, get the biggest payday you can get. Fight Tyson Fury, make yeah. $50 million, cash out, and then go do MMA again. Or then, even then, if he loses, he could still say, well, I lost to the best of the world. Now let me go fight Anthony Joshua. You know what I mean? But if you lose to Anthony yeah. Joshua, it all goes away. Yeah, that's a good call. Which reminds me, have you ever seen I believe it was Trevor Burbick who did a kickboxing match. I believe I do remember that. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah it's on YouTube where he, like he starts getting kicked in the leg and then starts looking at the ref, like what the fuck you doing? <laughs> and then he actually leaves the rings. I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. So yeah that's listen, if you haven't seen that, do yourself a favor, go on YouTube and watch that match. It's one of the most comical things you'll ever see in your life. I, I do remember that. Uh, what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We were talking about boxing, Matt. Of course, we talked about Connor and Floyd. 
Big news over the weekend, of course, Conor McGregor is back officially. He is going to fight Michael Chandler, uh, presumably later this year. They're first going to coach the next season of the Ultimate Fighter. I had a, a chance to chat with Michael earlier today. That's good. I'm actually going to throw that on next week's podcast. Uh, talked to him for almost an hour about you know coaching against Conor and the fight and everything. Um, I'll be honest, Matt, you were on the Ultimate Fighter um, during a time when I still cared about the Ultimate Fighter. Those days have long since passed. I don't care about the Ultimate Fighter anymore. Uh, haven't for a long time. Uh, but smart on the UFC to get Conor back that way. It also gives Conor plenty of time to get back in the USADA testing pool so he can do six months without having to like sit out for six months, do the coaching, do all that kind of stuff. But the fight itself, this is the fight, man. I'm glad this is the one they made. Chandler and Connor is a great matchup. It's a great fight. And uh, boy, I'm, I'm excited about this one. I'm right there with you. Um, I think they said Connor still has it in the testing pool though. So he's got to get back in right away. Like the ultimate fighter only lasts a couple months, right? So we need to get him back in the testing pool. I'm right there with you. This is the fight to make two explosive guys, um, you know, and this is a, a strategic fight, man. Um, you know, they, they both have a great chance of winning and th this could just be a complete war, man. And both coming off losses. So this is just the perfect fight, man. I, I actually am pretty excited to watch the show too, because these two guys, their personalities, man. Of course, Connor is, but so is Chandler. Like, he's going to fire back. He's going to talk back. And I think it's going to be a pretty exciting show to watch, not even just for the fights. Like, it's pretty rare that we like watching The Ultimate Fighter for all the drama and all the coach talk and everything. I think um, when Chael Sonnen was on there, that was one of the few that I really enjoyed. Um, but this one, I think it's going to be tremendous. It's funny because while the ultimate fighter has changed and it's not, it's not nearly as popular as it once was. Um, I think a lot of interest is going to get drawn back in with this season. I mean, I'm interested because, you know, again, I'm curious to see how Connor's going to coach and how he's going to interact with Chandler. But I mean, listen, you know, the influence of the ultimate fighter, Matt, because there's, I, I don't see a hardly a week goes by where someone doesn't still tag you about the whole lemon juice and your dip thing from that <laughs> season. of tough people still bring that up. How many years ago was that? And people still bring that up to you. That was Oh eight, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how, yeah. that's how much that's how, but I see it on Twitter. I still see people bring that up now. And like you said, that was certainly the heyday of Ultimate Fighter. I was on probably one of the last seasons where it was really like a, you know, people really cared and people really watched. And then it just started falling off after that, even though there were still some great fighters that came out of it, still some um, some champions, I think, that came out after that. And, um, um, you know, still a great show all around. But, you know, you can only run a TV show for so long, you know, unless it's Jersey Shore or something, you know, just <laughs> – you know, they, they all start to lose their appeal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, I, I'm excited to watch it, man. I, again, I think Connor and Chandler, I think they're going to be hilarious, bro. <laughs> like, I think like, it's going to be Chandler's good. Personality. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be great, man. And um, I actually have uh, two guys that I know that have potential being on that show. So I'll definitely be wanting to watch them. One guy that I train with here locally um, is one of the finalists to be on the show. So, um, yeah, and, and he'll just smash through everybody, I think. So I'm I'll be excited to watch it. What's uh what weight is your guy at? Uh fifty-five. Okay. Yeah, I assume it'll probably be they I Chandler, they said they haven't known for sure 
what weight they're going to be coaching and not that it really matters i mean they're going to coach whoever's there anyways but lightweight would make sense because although chandler's pretty confident they're going to fight at welterweight uh, because you know Connor's so big right now, and he's like, I'll you know, he's like, I'll gladly not cut weight to fight f- to fight McGregor. And here's the thing: I said this. So Michael, I know I've known Michael a long time, and we go back since like I think before his first Bellator fight. So I go back a long ways with Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler is is has no problem going you know, toe to toe with someone trash talking. He's never going to pretend he's Conor McGregor with trash talk, but he has no problem going back and forth with them. But I, I give him credit, so I'm not going to ruin the interview, but I'll mention something I asked him today, because this is an honest question, man. I'll, I'll bring it up now as a topic to talk about on the show. I said, you know, Connor, Connor has already been, Connor's been out for two years with the broken leg, and before that, he was out for a long time after the whole Floyd fight, big break, you know, came back for the Khabib fight, then another big break, and then you had the two fights with Poirier in a year, and then another, you know, two-year break. Chandler, Chandler, you know, basically said this is a must win for both him and Connor because, you know, right now Michael's coming off a loss to Desta Poirier. Connor's coming off two losses to Poirier as well. But my question to him, and I want to pose it to you, Matt, because we can have a, a kind of an open and honest discussion about this. I said that Connor is the biggest star in the sport. We all know that. He's a draw. But Connor's also a prideful guy. Connor, to me, Connor, the reason why he picked Michael Chandler is because Michael Chandler is a fight that he can win, but also Michael Chandler is still a top five lightweight. He didn't take a huge step down by taking on Michael Chandler. This is a step right back in the deep end of this division. But am I wrong in thinking that if Connor loses to Michael Chandler, not that it's a bad loss. It's, I mean, it's a fine loss. Chandler's a monster. But am I wrong in thinking that could be the last we see of Conor McGregor? Like, not to say, like, he's not good enough. I'm just saying, like, there's part of me that believes, like, three losses in a row, a broken leg, you know, all the things he's gone through. He's got, you know, billions, whatever it is in the bank. He's got his whiskey or his uh, whiskey money. He's got Roadhouse coming out. He doesn't need the money. Um, is there? Am I wrong in thinking if he loses to Chandler, he gets knocked out by Chandler, that might be the last we ever see of Conor McGregor? Am I wrong in thinking that's possible? I couldn't agree more. I have a hard time seeing him fighting again if he comes back and loses, especially a bad loss like that. Uh, like you said, he's just not the type of guy, guy to – doesn't have any reason to, right? Like he's coming back because he loves fighting and he wants to put on a show and wants to, um, you know, wants to be a champion again, I'm sure, right? So, that, yeah, I, I can't imagine – him having the motivation to fight again if he comes back and gets knocked out by Michael Chandler. But I expect Connor to come back strong, and I, I think he's going to look great, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see Connor again, actually. Um, I know he's gotten really big here in the past few years, but, you know, and he's been out of the USADA pool, which all that's going to be advantageous for him. Um, the only thing is he hasn't been that he hasn't fought like – you know, we we all talk about ring rust all the time, right? And some people say it's not real. Some people say it is. And, you know, there's different debates and opinions on that. But when you're out for as long as Connor's been out, dealing with what he's been going through, um, and then, you know, like you said, he came back after a long layoff. Like, he's just been so inactive the past few years. Chandler's been very active, so he's going to have a huge advantage straight up off of that. And it's like, realistically, if Connor comes back and loses to Chandler, like, who does he even fight next? You know, it's not even um, 
you know, part of it's, I think, the motivation, but there just isn't really like a lot of guys for him to fight next. And I think he loses some dollar value there too, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I think mean, the he's, only he's I... always been the red panty night guy, right? Yeah. Like he's the, he is the money fight. He comes back and loses again. I don't see his dollar value being quite as high. I agree. And I also say the other reason why I say that is because I think the one other fight you could have made would have been him and Nate Diaz for a third time, but Nate's not in the UFC right now. Now maybe that changes if, if they offer Nate a boatload of money to come back and just fight Connor. But you and I both know that UFC typically doesn't operate that way. They do not work on a short-term basis. They typically want to lock you into a multi-fight contract. They don't want to just sign you to one fight. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but you know, again, if Nate wins and then he just leaves the UFC again, you know, did they really gain a lot? So um, that's the one other fight that I could have seen, but right now that's not possible. Nate's not in the UFC. So the one other viable possibility isn't there. Yeah, and if he comes back and loses to Chandler, does Nate even care about that fight now? Yeah. He's got he's got way too many options, right? Even if he signs back with the UFC, he's got a lot of options for big fights. He now he's the money guy too, right? Like he doesn't need Connor as much as he did before. Now Connor will be needing him. So maybe he takes the fight, but I don't think he needs that fight, to be honest, if Connor's coming off another loss. Yeah, I just, I again, I, I wasn't trying to, like, stir controversy, but I'm just being honest. Like, I just think, I see a world, if Connor loses to Michael Chandler, that might be it. Like, that might be the end of it. Because he's got so much other stuff going on. He's, he is 34, 35. It's not like he's a young guy anymore. He's not 27 coming in the UFC anymore. He's accomplished everything. He's been a double champ. Um, he's got boatloads of money. He's going to continue to make boatloads of money in all the businesses. He sold his whiskey for freaking nine figures, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't, because, I mean, how much, I mean, you know, if, if Connor loses to Michael Chandler, do we really, are we really going to get that excited about seeing fight Tony Ferguson at that point? Are we really going to get excited? Right. To like, you know what I mean? Like, and Con again, there's a reason why Connor's coming back, coming back against Michael Chandler because a win over Michael Chandler puts him right back in the conversation yeah. of being champion. He loses though. That's three in a row, four out of his last five. I just had to pose you. And, and I'll be honest. Chandler's a really hard matchup. Chandler hits like a freaking monster. Chandler uses his wrestling, which has always been a bit of a weak spot for Connor. And and Chandler, as I said to Michael Chandler, and I'll say it again now, and you know this, Matt, like you do not walk out of a fight with Michael Chandler unscathed. Like no one walks out of a fight with him clean, feeling good. They got a one punch knockout. You walk out feeling like you've been in a car crash. Can Connor with a after the broken leg and you know all these months off and years is he ready to get into a dogfight with Michael freaking Chandler? Like that's a real question that I have. Like right now, I lean towards Michael Chandler winning that fight because even in the fights he's lost, he's made it hard. He almost had Gage. He had Gagey hurt. He had Poirier hurt badly in that first round, almost down and out. He had Charles Oliveira. Oliveira was maybe two punches away from being finished. So can Connor take that kind of punishment and come back? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't no, I know. Think that's a great question. And, and that's where the actual ring rust comes in. When you talk about ring rust, like Connor could come in just as sharp, just as ready, but he hasn't been hit like that in a fight in front of millions of people with all that pressure in a very long time. And I think that's what it comes down to, right? Like, like getting hit in the gym is one thing getting hit, and, and seeing stars getting a little bit rocked and having Michael Chandler in your face ready to throw more punches is a completely different thing. 
And that's where I think a lot of the experience of fighting actually helps. You you learn how to deal with those uh, those big shots a lot better. I learned a lesson very well when I fought uh, Robbie Lawler. Um, I still remember to this day, you know, I hit him, I rocked him, and he was the first guy that I'd ever hit that hard, that square, rocked him, and he handled it properly, right? He kept his defense up. He looked at me ready to fight. He smiled, you know, a couple of different times when I did, <laughs> you know, and that threw me off. But it, if you're not used to that, if you're not in there fighting fairly regularly, you know, I think that's one of the big factors uh, when we talk about ring rust, dealing with those shots uh, very well. Most likely you get hit by Chandler. But Connor is a very, very slick boxer. And if Connor was active, I would probably favor him pretty heavily in this fight. With him being so inactive, I think that um, evens things out a lot. And with Chandler being so active, and like you said, Chandler's rocked everybody that he's fought, I think. <laughs> like in yeah. the UFC, you know, win or lose, like he rocks you. And I think he's probably learning from those lessons and getting better at it and uh, conserving his energy better. At least I hope so. We haven't necessarily seen it in the cage, but, you know, at least I hope so. And um, I think if he does that, and he, he uses that experience to his advantage. You know, this might be his fight. and We don't see Connor again. He might send Connor into retirement. Yeah, and also the other thing, I've had this, if I had, because I'm with you, Matt, you know, I've always liked Connor. Uh, I've always enjoyed Connor. Um, personally and professionally, I've always had a great relationship with Connor. I think he's a legend and, and he does like, you know, I, I really like Connor. I always like, really like Connor. Um, you know, I still have Matt Brown owing me money for when Connor McGregor knocked out Jose Aldo from like four years ago. Just throwing that out there. Uh, one of my, one of my most famous bets that I won. You only remind me on air. And then yeah. What of the, I, I, you know what? I live, I live in infamy. I live on the, I live on the grace of that win because like I, I picked, I picked Connor to beat Aldo and I still live on the grace of that win. Um, but the other thing is, and I know, I know, like, I know I feel like I'm picking on Connor, but I'm being honest here. Like I still, Matt, I still think one of the biggest, one of the biggest concerns I have about Connor McGregor now is who's around him making him better. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any pro John Cavanaugh is not a bad head coach. I don't think he's a bad head coach, but is John Cavanaugh? I'm not saying that Connor doesn't have good people in his gym. I'm not saying that. There's guys in Ireland who are good. They're absolutely good fighters coming out of Ireland. That's 100% true. But does Connor have the killers around him that are going to get him ready for a guy like Because I know what Michael Chandler has. Michael Chandler has Gilbert Burns. He has Logan Storley. He has Robbie Lawler. He has Jason Jackson. He has a just a laundry list of murderers row of good fighters at kill cliff MMA and Henry hoofed and all those guys. Usman goes down there. I mean, you have just a laundry list of good fighters to walk you through the fire to get you ready for Conor McGregor. Now, do any of them fight like Conor? Not necessarily, but again, I'm talking about like just the, 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 the rounds to get you ready. Does he does. And I've, Oh, that's my, I guess my one biggest like concern about Conor at this stage in the career you know, he builds a camp around him, which is what boxers do. And I think that's a great idea. I think more fighters should probably do that. But does he have that level of competition? Is he, because my biggest concern with Connor, 
to me, Matt, it feels like Connor's always the best guy in the gym. Yeah, and to add to that, you know, is Connor in there training grimy, right? Like that's a, you know that's how Chandler's training. Like with all those guys, like he's gonna have some grimy Shark Tank, just dirty, gritty sessions where he's got to gut through it and 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 you know just work, you know, get pushed by those guys you just mentioned, and plus more. You know, those are just some of the guys down there, right? Like there's a, a like you said, a laundry list of guys. You know, is Connor gonna? And, and, you know, is that good or bad, too, right? Like, maybe Chandler's taking a lot of damage in camp, too. You know, that could also hurt him, potentially. Um, but I get the feeling, you know, we're like we were just talking about last week, man, and, and MMA is a group of savages, man. And Connor, you know, we don't see, at least, you know, we only see him on Instagram. We're not a, around him every day or hanging out with him. But what we're seeing is a lot of flashy good looking stuff and him enjoying himself. We don't, you know, I, I don't get the feeling that he's in there getting grimy, man. And I think that's what it comes down to. Cause when you go fight Chandler, it's going to be a fucking grimy fight. Yeah. Well, you, you own your gym here in town and, and I know you bring in a lot of good people to work with. Obviously we've seen it in the past, but like you're the owner and, and the name of your gym, but I guarantee, and I'm not saying he never does, but I'm saying like, I know there are rounds in a sparring session that you lose, right? Like you don't always win every round. You don't always win every grappling exchange. You don't always win every boxing exchange. That's how you get better. And that's how you learn. And, 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 and I know it's so cheesy, but like the whole iron sharpens iron thing. And I just wonder, and again, I don't know, maybe Connor does and he's just never posting it, but like, are there guys pushing Connor? You know, are there guys, yeah. you know, are there I guys, think. are there guys at that level wrestling? Cause I know like even wrestling, like I know he's not working with wrestlers that are as good as Chandler is, or is he, is he going to be willing to bring in, you know, guys who can wrestle like Chandler? Is he going to be willing to work with guys who are going to beat him up a little bit and like make him question his confidence for a second and have to work and come back? Like these yeah. are all questions I have about Connor because you need that. Like I, I know, like I talk to people all the time who say like, I lose rounds in sparring. It pisses me off in the moment, but then I realize I just need to get better. You know what I mean? Like, are there those guys who do that? Cause I, I sometimes I get the sense with Connor that it's a lot of, you know, he's surrounding himself with people that he can beat. You know, is he surrounding himself with people that can beat him? Because I know you do, Matt. I know Chandler does. You know what I mean? Like, you have I, to have I, those guys around you. Yeah, you know, I actually coach guys to beat me. Right? Like, that's, <laughs> in my opinion, that's the sign of a good coach, right? If your student gets better than you, right? I teach them my own tricks, things that I do, and they come in and they know that I'm about to try them and do them. And, of course, yeah, you know, we bring in guys that are – um, at least as good, if not better than me. But um, I'm also in a very different uh, point in my career too, right? Like I'm definitely like towards the tail end. Um, you know, I don't know which fight will be the last. I, I got um, a five-fight contract, right? So I'm, maybe I'll do all five, maybe not. But, um, you know, I'm 42 years old and and I'm, I'm at the point where, you know, um, you know, I'm not fighting top 10 guys. I'm not fighting, I'm not fighting top five guys. Um, Connor's still young and he's fighting a, a young Chandler, you know, not real young, but, you know, young, at least, you know, athletically. Right. And these guys can maybe not young, but still in their athletic prime. And again, when you get into a fight with Chandler, it will get grimy. It will get dirty. It will get messy. 
that is almost a guarantee. And you at least have to plan for that, right? Like you, like you can't expect that fight. It, it, I mean, hopefully, you know, for Connor, he's going to hope that he goes in and lands a combo like he did on Eddie Alvarez and puts him out and, you know, doesn't get touched or like he did on Jose Aldo or something like that. But the likelihood of that happening against the Chandler is very slim. And with when you're fighting Michael Chandler, you better be ready for the the to go through the fucking fire, man. He is going to bring the fire to you for sure. There's no question about that. So you better be prepared for it, whether it happens or not. So, you know, again, they're they're kind of like you know, it's hard to draw analogies there because they're kind of in in different spots of their career. Like if Connor wants to get back to being a you know a champion or you know, at least fighting for the championship again. I mean, he's got to get grimy, man. And, you know, we're not seeing it on social media, whether he's doing it or not, who really knows. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's my biggest fear. You know, who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are going to really, truly get you better? Or are you surrounding yourself with people who are going to say, you know, yes, sir. You know, are they, are they, are they, are they, me, when you were, you were asking about me specifically, I didn't really answer it too much, but you know, I got Mark Coleman in there every day. He doesn't let it, be easy for me if i'm in there beating up a guy and the guy's uh, a little too easy for me like he'll just throw me on the air dine and get me tired and then like, okay now go spar him you know <laughs> you know he'll scream at me you know what i mean like like mark coleman does not allow easy rounds period i mean there's been times where um he'll go grab the heavy bag and throw it in there and you know, maybe I'm beating up a guy a little too easy or something. He'll throw the heavy bag in there and make me start throwing the heavy bag around and punching it in between rounds, right? So, you know, when you got a guy, you know, Connor would be very well served to have a guy like Mark Coleman around him, making him do things that he just simply does not want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, you know, the, 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 the losses that Chandler has had in the UFC, and I know we talked about his style and, you know, do you want to fight for the fans? Do you want to fight for yourself? That kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the guys who beat him are guys who could go toe to toe and guys who could weather that storm and guys who were able to come back and win because he had shit. He had Gaethje hurt. He had Poirier hurt. He had Oliveira hurt. Both those guys, all three of those guys came back to beat Michael yeah. Chandler. Can Connor take that right hand, get knocked on his ass, just get absolutely waylaid and then still survive and come back? I don't know. Like we've not really seen yeah. Connor in those situations when Connor got like Connor had some early good moments in that second fight with Poirier and then Poirier just weathered the storm and came back and beat the brakes off him. And the set, the third fight where he broke his leg, it was not looking good for Connor. That was, that was largely one way traffic for Dustin Poirier. Um, can Connor get hit by that right hand, get knocked down, get bloodied up and then get back up again to beat Michael Chandler. I don't know. I just I don't, don't know he if he can. I would, my first assumption is that he cannot, that he will not. Um, uh, you know, that takes a certain amount of motivation, discipline, hunger that I'm not sure that Connor has at this point. But, there, you know, if Chandler plays that game with Connor, I also think that's a very dangerous game for Chandler to play against Connor because Connor is not Poirier, Ch uh, Gagey, or Oliveira. Connor has very good movement. Connor is very good on the feet, very long and. Uh, I think that's a dangerous game for Chandler. Yeah, I just think, like I said, Chandler needs to, this is a fight unlike other ones where you and I have said, like, you know, maybe he should change his style. There's two things I would suggest here. 
Chandler can wrestle, which we know he can out-wrestle Connor. That's a given. He's a much better wrestler and grappler. He could go that path and get a victory that way. But otherwise, Chandler needs to fight like Chandler does in this fight. He needs to be willing to go in there and hit Connor, make it grimy, make it dirty, make it, you know, just an ugly fight. Because Connor doesn't want that. We all know that. Connor wants to stand on the outside, pick you apart, counter shot, throw that left hand and mm-hmm. knock your block off. And can he do that? Absolutely. Connor McGregor can still do that. And he may style on him like he did Eddie Alvarez. But again, if I'm a betting man, at some point Chandler's gonna hit him. At some point Chandler's gonna tag him. And can Connor weather that storm the other way? Can Connor come back? Again, I'm just uh, right now. And again, two days after the fight gets announced, we don't even know when it's happening, all that kind of stuff right now, today, you know, Monday, February 6th, as we're recording this episode, I would pick Michael Chandler to win that fight. Maybe that'll change. Maybe we'll see enough from Connor in the next eight months that I'll change my mind. But right now I'd have to lean towards Michael Chandler. The only thing I'm going to disagree on that is I think Connor could probably wrestle with Chandler better than anybody thinks that he can. When I watched him wrestle Khabib, get wrestled by Khabib, he showed some very, very good wrestling. Khabib just showed the next level of wrestling. Khabib is obviously like one of the best wrestlers we've ever had in the octagon. And Honor did some very, very good things. He made very tiny mistakes. That, we've talked about this before, I believe. Where I, you know, I think he could fix those mistakes pretty quickly, pretty easy, as long as he's training it, right, and, and working hard on it. And uh, Chandler's style of wrestling is not as, I'm not saying he's not a great wrestler, but it is not as deep and nuanced as Khabib's. Khabib has lots of angles, does lots of different things, uh, has lots of options from all the different positions. Chandler's more of a straight-on wrestler as far as I've seen. He may have those in his toolbox and just not shown them, but Khabib does a lot of chain-type things and a lot of different things that we don't see uh, in America quite as much, that Dagestanian style. I think Connor can wrestle with Chandler a lot better than people think. I don't think he could take Chandler down, you know, if he, if that, which obviously isn't going to be his game plan anyway. But um, I think it's going to be a lot tougher for Chandler to get a takedown than people think it is. Yeah, it's an interesting fight. It's a really interesting fight. It's the perfect fight. But again, I'm being honest when I say. It's uh, it's do or die, like I said, because Chandler's going to come back, and even if he loses to Connor, he's going to get a huge payday, and we can still see him fight, you know, any number of guys at that point, and it's still interesting because Chandler's just that dude. Chandler's like Gaethje, like you know, Gaethje can lose two fights, three fights, and we still want to see Justin Gaethje fight because we know what we're getting. Connor, I just can't see. I just again, I'm just being honest. I can't see Connor losing to Chandler. Be like, you know what? Let me come back and fight Armin Sarukian. And that's not a knock on Armin Sarukian. Like Armin Sarukian is a freaking monster. I'm saying like I can't see Connor losing and saying, you know, let me come back and fight. You know, again, the one option would have been Nate Diaz, and that's no longer an option. At least right now, it's not an option. So again, Connor loses. That may be it. I'm being honest. Like that may be the no, end of the I'm road for him. The fact is the. You know, there were two things that we always loved about Connor. For one, he would talk up the big game, right? That was a huge, huge part of it. And then he backed it up. In the past few years, he's not backed it up. Yeah. So you can only talk that big game. It only goes so far until you actually back it up, right? And then we become uninterested in the talk. And if he doesn't back it up in this fight, we're going to get uninterested in all the big talk. And it's not going to carry very much weight going forward. Yeah, and the other fight I would mention, the one other fight that would be out there is Dos Anjos because we never got to see that fight. But if he loses to Chandler, yeah. 
you know, Rafael Dos Anjos is to me an even worse matchup because he's such a high level grappler. You know, all he has to do is pull the guard one time. And I'm not saying Connor's terrible on the ground, but I don't think because we know Dos Anjos will take him down and just go for an arm triangle. He's not going to play the let's punch each other until one of us falls over game with Conor McGregor. Uh, Dos Anjos, if he if that fight would happen, he's going to go for a leg. He's going to pull for knee bars and leg locks and, you know, arm triangles. And again, I just I can't see Connor losing to Chandler and being like, you know what? Give me Neil Magny. No, he's not going to do that. Like, that's not Connor. I just I just. Connor wants to be at the top and credit to Connor for taking Michael Chandler because this is not an easy fight, man. He could have, he could have picked easier fights, tune up fights, whatever you want and done those instead. Um, this ain't that. And so it's yeah. hard, but if he loses again, if Nate Diaz isn't out there, I don't know what other option would be out there for him. And again, Connor's already taken two year breaks here and there, you know, and he's 34, 35 going on 35 now, like at 38, 37, is he really going to want to come back and fight? you know, Matush Gamrot and fight that monster? Is he going to want to come back and fight, you know, Raphael Fiziev? I just, I just, I just don't see it. No, you don't want to fight Fiziev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Connor's brand is already there, right? Like he's, his only motivation I can imagine him fighting now is for the glory, right? Like he has the money, he has the brand. Um, I'm surprised that he didn't come back and fight Tony Ferguson. I thought that was going to be the fight, you know, but. Um, here he is, he's fighting Chandler. I'm fucking stoked for it, man. I think it's going to be a great lead up and I think it's going to be a great fight. And that would have been the easier choice. That's not a knock on Tony Ferguson. Just Tony's at a different place in his career right now. You know what I mean? We got to be honest where Tony's at in his career. Connor would have an easier, and he would be a bigger favorite against Tony. That ain't the case with Chandler. He is not going to be happy. You know, this is not an easy fight. So again, credit to Connor. He could have said, give me Tony. He didn't. He said, give me Chandler. Uh, credit to him for taking the tougher fight because to me that is definitely the tougher fight. Yeah, at least on paper it seems like a tougher fight. So I'm ready to see it, man. Let's get it going. Speaking of championships, before we get out of here, Matt, of course, we got a big pay-per-view coming up in a matter of days. Islam Makhachev taking on uh, Alexander Volkanovsky and Josh Emmett battling uh, Yair Rodriguez for the interim featherweight title. There's some other good fights in the card. Jack Della Maddalena coming back. I love that dude. That dude's a monster. Really looking forward to his fight on there as well. Uh, but we got to talk about the two title fights real quick, Matt, before we get out of here. Of course, Josh Emmett, Yair Rodriguez, very intriguing matchup. The winner gets the interim title and then eventually moves on to fight Volkanovski. Uh, we've had, obviously, obviously we co-hosted a show in the past with Josh Emmett. You and me and Josh Emmett came on here and break down some fights. Uh, how do you feel about this one? Who are you picking between Emmett and, uh, and Yair? Boy, I'm way up in the air on this one. I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it just comes down to whether Emmett can land that solid shot because I don't think Yair has the chin to deal with uh, Emmett's power. I mean, he has massive power. It hurts people every time he touches them. Um, it, it, I think that's really all it comes down to and. Uh, Yair's going to throw his wild stuff. He's going to, you know, do his tricky, creative things. And, um, boy, that is a fucking fight, man. That is the one everybody, of course, is talking about, Volk and Islam. But, damn, Emmett Yair, that is the fight to watch for sure, I think. Yeah, I, I lean towards Josh Emmett in this one because I think that Yair, as good as he is, I think he relies a little bit too much on the flashy kind of catch you with the crazy stuff kind of thing like he did against. I mean, I think people forget he was losing to the Korean zombie in a lopsided fight and he caught him with that weird back elbow thing and he won. 
Um, he got handled. You know, I mean, he put up, listen, he put up a great fight against Max Holloway. That was a really intriguing fight, but he ultimately lost, you know, and, and you know, not saying lopsided fashion, but it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like a fight where it was like a split decision or anything. He just, he gave Max a tougher time than I think a lot of people credit him for, but ultimately it was still a Max Holloway win. I just think Emmett's wrestling, his power, um, his, the way he's been in these five round fights like this. I just lean towards Josh Emmett. Now, am I confident in that pick? 100% not. Yair is that dude. That dude could pull out the spinning back elbow in the fifth round and knock you out and the fight's over. But based on right now, if I'm picking, I would lean towards Emmett. Yeah, and I, I, hard to argue with that because Emmett does have the fundamentals a, a little better. He seems a little more durable as a person, as a fighter. So um, I, I think I'm with you, you know, a little bit, a little lean towards Emmett. But like you said, Yair is just wild, man. You know, he could he can bring out some crazy tools we've never seen before. And and how Emmett handles those is going to be the big question in this fight. Yeah. Now, the main event, Islam Makhachev against Alexander Volkanovsky. You know, when this fight got made, Matt, and, and again, you know, when he got announced, I said, I love Volkanovsky. He's incredible. You know, potentially on the way to becoming the greatest featherweight of all time. Right now, that, that title is held by Jose Aldo, but he has a win over Aldo. If he goes out there and defends his title a couple more times, I can see Volkanovsky knocking on the door of that greatest featherweight of all time conversation. But I said, man, Mahachev, Makachev is so good right now that I just don't see anybody beating him. Am I talking myself into like trying to make this a more compelling fight by saying that I think Volkanovsky has a better chance a lot of people are giving him? Or am I just like, am I trying to make this a more compelling fight? Because because if you asked me this two months ago when the fight got made, I thought Makachev was going to blow him out. It was going to be a, you know, just a, a dominant because Makachev is a huge lightweight. Volkanovski's not a natural lightweight. Um, the wrestling, the power, all that. Like, I'm just like, yeah, this is just a, a bit of a bad matchup for Volkanovski. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to talk myself into making this a better fight than it is. Yeah, I um. I think we're going to find out pretty quickly in the fight, right? If uh, if Volk stands a chance, right? If, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious what's going to happen here, right? If if uh, Islam can get him down, it's going to be a very very long night for or a very short night, <laughs> one or the other for for Volkanovski. And you know, if Volk can get back up or stop the takedown right away, then you know, I guess it then. And that, and that's you know Volk has so much to overcome in this fight you know and I respect him greatly for taking this fight um, and I kind of I didn't think about it until I heard Kiesa talking about it uh, here last night or this morning you know and, and he said if Volk wins this fight he's the greatest ever and I never thought about that but he's certainly got to be in the talks as you know one of the goats like if he wins this fight I mean. This is a, a huge, just a, the worst matchup you could imagine for him. And going up in weight, you know, you got to respect him for taking this chance. But, uh, you know, it's it's really hard to find a place to pick Volkanovski to win this fight is, is where, you know, where it just gets complicated, right? It's like, you know, do you think he's going to pick him apart without getting taken down? You know, it's only going to take one mistake to get taken down. And we know what Islam can do once he gets you down. So, um, you know, I kind of hope that, you know, I I like Volkanovsky so much that I kind of hope that he surprises us. Um, But 
you know, I, I think he just has an uphill battle here. Yeah, I think that I agree with you, and I, I might slow down on the whole greatest of all time, Kyle Todd, because I'm a big favor. I'm in big favor of longevity, and that's why guys like uh, John Jones and Demetrius Johnson to me, you know, are much higher yeah. in that whole, you know, because again, beating Makachev would be huge, but Makachev just won the title. It's not like he's a ten time defending champion. Take the belt from him. That being said. Um, yeah, I mean, Volkanovski can stuff a couple of takedowns and work from the outside. His striking is so good. He's so dynamic on the feet, man. The way he, the way he learned and got better against Max Holloway. And then that, that third fight was just a blowout. I mean, Volkanovski just beat the brakes off of Max. And I have so much respect for Max Holloway. He is such a good striker and Volkanovski picked him apart in that third fight. I mean, it was just like wow like that was the fight that really blew my mind for volkanovsky where i was like okay this is the dude right here like this is the guy but as you said can he do that for five rounds can he do that without volkanovsky taking him down can he do that without vulcan or excuse me with uh, makachev taking him down can he do that with makachev taking him down and pushing him against the cage can he do that with makachev on top of him I just, I don't know. It's a tall order for me, and I, I still lean towards Makachev winning this fight. I don't know if he'll get a finish. Uh, maybe he catches him in a submission or something, or maybe a late finish, but I just, I don't know, man. Like I said, I think the toughest matchup for Islam Makachev right now is Benil Dariush, who's not getting the title shot because Benil has great wrestling, great jiu-jitsu, knockout power on the feet, and he is a natural lightweight, a big lightweight. Um I love Volkanovski, man, and it kind of breaks my heart that he might go out there and get dealt this this fight. But uh, I, if, again, I gotta pick. My, my, I can't back up on my pick now, Matt, because back then I said Makachev ain't losing to anybody, and I still believe that. Like, I don't think there's anyone lightweight right now that beats him, um, and I can't suddenly pick the featherweight champion to beat him if I say no lightweight's gonna beat him. Yeah, it's just simply hard to pick against Makachev on paper in this fight. Again, Volkanovski might surprise us, but. Um, now on paper, I mean, it just do there doesn't make any logical sense to pick um, Volkanovski in this fight. And, you know, it'd be a surprise if he does it, any, anything else. And, um, you know, I'm kind of cheering for him in this fight to do it because I, I want him, you know, I like him enough that I would love to see him start. Uh, again, I don't think he would be one of the greatest of all time winning the fight, but I think he starts working towards that talk. I think it's absolutely. I think, you know, Kiesa was the one who said he's the greatest of all time if he wins this fight, which is, you know, jump in a few steps ahead. But I think, I do think now we can start opening that conversation up if he wins this fight, and especially if he wins it handedly. Oh, 100%. I don't disagree. 100%. He absolutely does. Can I, real quick before we get out of here, Matt, can I throw this out there because I have this argument as well. I want to mention to you, get your thoughts real quick. Um, I love this fight. I love the, the, the billing of it. It's pound for pound. Number one versus pound for pound. Number two, it's champ versus champ. I get all that, but am I wrong in thinking that the champ versus champ fight has started to lose how special it's supposed to be? Like this was Makachev just became champion. He was in the, literally in the cage celebrating his win. And Volkanovski's in there. Volkanovski's like a four or five time defending four time champion. I think whatever it is. I mean, that's awesome. And he has like, you know, three wins over Max Holloway. That's insane. All that's great. But I, it just doesn't feel earned anymore, man. I feel like ever since Connor did it in 2016, it's like every few months it feels like we're talking about this champ. I mean, Johnny Eblen won his fight on on Saturday in Bellator, beat uh, you know, beat Anatoly Tokov in his first title defense. And there's reporters asking him afterwards, "What do you think about going up to light heavyweight challenge for that?" Time? I'm like, dude, he just got the belt. He has one title defense. Like, earn it. Like. 
when I like when B when BJ Penn fought GSP, that to me was like the pinnacle of you know the best of the best from two divisions fighting each other. BJ had been the best lightweight for a long time. GSP was clearly the best welterweight at the time. It was a clash of champions, and you know, it, it, like I said, it's felt. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed some of the other. I I enjoyed Cormier and 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 Stipe, but. Dude, we got to slow down on this champ versus champ thing for a while because it's losing its specialness. Like, it's losing the unique quality because we didn't have it forever. We never got Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre. We never got Anderson Silva and John Jones. We never got uh, John Jones and Cain Velasquez. And I'm bummed about all that, but I'm also like, yeah, but now it's kind of ruined. Like, is it a sp- like Blahovich and Israel? Is it, was that really that special? Like, come on now. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. I hadn't never really thought about it personally, but, uh, you know, it, it makes for a big fight. And, you know, the, the thing is, the guy coming up has nothing to lose. So, of course, they're always going to call for that. Like, Volkanovski doesn't have anything to lose. He was going to fight Yair Emmett regardless, right? So, he go, he goes in and loses. He could lose in one minute against Islam. Come back, he still uh, he gets to fight Yair Emmett, right? So, uh, it only makes sense for that guy to push for it. it. I guess it comes down to whether the UFC wants to keep making these kind of matchups. And, you know, I think a lot of people have complained about the promotion for this fight. Right. And, you know, I guess if you're going to be making these champ versus champ fights, guys are going to be moving up in weight. You got to promote them. Right. Right. You got to make them big fights every time. And like you said, when Izzy went up and fought Jan, I didn't feel like that was a gigantic fight. I mean, I love watching Izzy, so it's big to me. He's one of my favorite fighters in the history of the sport. Uh, but it didn't feel that gigantic to me. When Connor did it, it felt huge, right? <laughs> but Connor makes everything huge. So uh, I, I'm right there with you, man. I'm not sure, um, you know, maybe they need to figure out a way, uh, some sort of structure to doing this the right way. I just, I miss the long reigning champions. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I talked to, I talked to Demetrius last week and, and, you know, I was kind of marveling. I like when he said like 11 title defense, like, my God, that's such an, just an astronomical number. And again, that's like the all time record. you know, Anderson was, you know, right below him, whatever, but like Valentina, I think is going for number seven or number eight coming up. And like, that's such, such an amazing achievement. Um, I miss that. Like I miss guys or girls being like eight, nine time, you know, seven, eight, nine time defending champion. You know how hard that is? Like to me, that's much harder than just going up and winning a second belt in your third fighter. Well, you know what I mean? I'm not saying that, like it's not hard to go up a division and win it because we've seen it not work out. Israel lost to Jan Blahovich, but um I just I don't know that to me it's like I miss the long reigning champions like I miss like and then you know if Volkanovski was a nine time imagine Volkanovski was a nine time defending champion and then going up to me that would make yeah. this that bigger that much bigger of a fight or if Makachev had been like a five time defending champion and Volkanovski was a five time defending champion then they clash like this came together because it's like oh you know it's a bit yeah it's a big fight I like it I'm glad it's I'm glad it's happening it's a good fight but like. Wouldn't it be a little bit more special if Mahakchev had beaten Poirier and Gaethje and Dariush and yeah, you know, he was a five-time yeah. defending champion? Then we get this fight. Yeah, I think that's a great point, man. And again, I think someone like Volkanovski, it makes so much sense for him, though. So he's going to try to push for it. And oh, the of UFC course. Let, yeah, if they let him do it, then you know more power to him. Uh, for Islam, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know. But you know, more power to him. You know, he's comfortable doing it and confident in his skills. Uh, but because Volkanovski's not like a small uh, 145 pounder either. Like he's, he, I think he used to weigh like 200, 
something pounds, yeah. right? So like his 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 frame is gonna be okay at this weight. It's just a matter of you know, he's gotta deal with fucking Islam, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a shorter guy, so he's gonna give up a lot of you know reach that way. But in terms of size, I don't think he's gonna be a much more but yeah, like I said, you could be you could be any. You could be 170 pounds walking around. You're still gonna struggle against Islam fucking Makachev. Like that, dude, that dude's right. a monster. Like you know, I think that's what gets lost is like Makachev is a freaking monster, dude. Like I don't, I don't see anybody beating him. Um, yeah, again, I just like I said, I love it. I love this matchup, but like I want it to be special again. I want it to be like you know when it, where Izzy was, and again, Izzy got beat by Pereira, so of course it's not gonna happen. But like if Izzy had never lost, and then they built it up to, to where he would go up to light heavyweight. And, and now, you know, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel earned anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't feel special. Um, well, I said, to, when, I, when Izzy did it, he was on a long streak, right? Like, and he hadn't lost up to that point. So, but yeah, Izzy, Izzy going up to fight John Jones, that would have been huge. Getting oh, man, Jan, that and that's that's not a knock on Jan Blahovich, but I mean, come on, where we, you know, Izzy and Jan Blahovich was, it just felt like another fight. Well, it was the same thing. Like, Jan wasn't a long-dominating champion either, right? So, you know, as the champion, and, you you know, you defend the title maybe once or something. I don't know if Jan had even defended it once yet, but now he's got to defend it against a lighter weight guy coming up. So yeah, it, it, takes, it takes away from the allure at the head of the heavier guy, in my opinion. And also, not this is not a knock on Makachev at all, but he just won the belt. But like, imagine if Khabib was still champion. Khabib and Volkanovski would be a much bigger fight, right? Because Volkanovski is a multi-time. Khabib's a long. You know what I mean? Like when you when you combine forces, you know it's like a it's like a comic book thing. You combine forces, you get a more powerful a more powerful fight. When you kind of diminish that on one side, it's just it just doesn't feel as special, doesn't feel as earned um, as if you had like a you know five or six time defending champion against another five or six time defending champion. Then it's special, but right now it's like yeah, it's it's a it's a good fight. I like the fight, but it just doesn't feel earned. Like it just feels like oh well, it's it's, again, it feels very Izzy Blahovich. It doesn't feel GSP BJ Penn where like all eyes on the world were on that fight. It just feels like oh yeah, two champions are fighting each other. Okay. Yep, yep. I totally get where you're coming from. And, you know, again, it makes sense for Volkanovski. So, uh, you know, and it's, boy, it's a big uphill battle for him. But um, if he can overcome it, then it will be a gigantic fight then, right? You know, if they end up rematching or, you know, whatever happens after. If, if, if Volk can go up there and, and find a way to beat Islam, you know, he's going to be a gigantic star. So he's got everything on the line here. And, well, Islam has everything on the line, everything to lose, whereas Volk has nothing to lose. So, you know, yeah. I'm there cheering few, for Volk. I love the guy. So, there are a few things I can imagine that would be more miserable in this sport than spending 25 minutes underneath Islam Makachev. Like, I just couldn't imagine that's a fun time. Like, I, like, w- probably the least favorite thing I'd want to do right now is take a punch from Francis Agana because that seems like the least fun ever. But at least then he hits you once and it's over and you wake up and you're like, okay, I don't really remember getting hit because I just got hit by a Mack truck and it's over. Spending 20 minutes, 25 minutes underneath Makachev, that just seems like the least fun ever. 
<laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound so enjoyable, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to get out of here. Of course, we'll be back next week to break down everything that happened at UFC 284 and uh, hopefully get some news about Matt's fight as well, which would be exciting. Uh, obviously, want to say a big thank you to everyone that tunes into The Fighter versus The Writer every week. You can check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. Uh, Matt, what else you got going on anywhere? Anything you want to plug? Anything coming up people want to check out for you? Everybody knows they can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, at I am the Immortal. Check out my coffee website, theimmortalcoffee.com. The best coffee in the fucking world, man. So um, I got my instructionals on dynamicstriking.com. I'm working on my own website for my own instructionals. I'm going to put together a full MMA curriculum. Should be released, I think, in the summertime is probably what it's looking like right now. Um, you'll see a lot about that on my Instagram and Twitter, um, Facebook also. And uh, if anyone needs a romantic Airbnb in the Smoky Mountains, I got one that is open for Valentine's Day still. Oh, there you go. Get you to yeah. stay in the, immor- the, immortal, the immortal love shack. Yeah, yeah. It's actually <laughs> called Cupid's Hideaway. Oh, nice. And, and it is on Cupid Way, which is the name of the street. And you can go check it out on Airbnb. And this has been a great, fun venture for me. And this thing is absolutely killing it, man. And Smoky Mountains and cabins are awesome. I've never been there. You need to go check it out. It's a great place to spend Valentine's Day with your loved one. Yeah, here's what you didn't know, people. Matt Brown is fucking romantic. That's what you didn't know, Matt Brown. I'm romantic as fuck, bro. <laughs> I'll bring on, maybe I'll bring on my girl sometime and she can tell you. I got some fucking romance in me, bro. See, you're not just a badass fighter. You also got some romance in you. I like it. Sweet, yeah. soft, romantic Matt Brown. That's not the Matt Brown most people are used to seeing. Uh, so, yeah, interesting. But, All right. I- I, I like to make love, so I like. To <laughs> Coleman calls it the Super Bowl. He's he said because he was living in my basement for a while, and, and he would hear me. He said, "Bro, every time it's a fucking Super Bowl for you." Isn't it? <laughs> said, yes, it is. I don't do no scrimmages, <laughs> no regular season. Oh my god, I do not want to think about those conversations. That is the last <laughs> thing I want to hear about. Oh man, Coleman, that guy. Yeah, talk to Coleman. Get him to see if he wants to come on next week. We'll see if we can get Coleman on here and tell some stories and uh and uh we'll chat with him. Maybe he'll come on and join the podcast with us. A little a little reunion of the old podcast. Yeah, it'd be a great time, man. He's one of the funnest guys around. He is. He's a blast. All right, folks. We appreciate everyone tuning in to the Fighter versus the Rider. We'll see you next week after UFC 284. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you then. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. 
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.